This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey, everyone. It's Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. Today on the program, we've got Glenn Beck, one of the best known and most talented media personalities in the world. Now he's a media mogul, too, having founded The Blaze, where he hosts The Glenn Beck Show. We taped with Glenn a couple of days ago. Uh, discussing the fissures in this country right now and his call for secession, though perhaps not exactly in the way you're thinking. Uh, So we're going to get into it. Is that where we are? Is that the point at which we find ourselves? Now, that discussion was before the riots at the U.S. Capitol. So first, a word on that. Those rioters breaching the Capitol building on Wednesday who terrorized the lawmakers and the others inside, that was deeply disturbing. They endangered themselves. They endangered our lawmakers, our elected leaders, not to mention the law enforcement officers who are there to protect the facility and all of those people inside. As you know by now, a woman died trying to breach one of those doors after she was shot by a cop and at least three others were killed reportedly from health emergencies during the thing. I was ashamed. I was ashamed of those rioters of their lawless behavior, and I was angered by it. Each of those lawbreakers should be arrested, tried, and punished to the fullest extent of the law. And no right-wing equivalent of Justin Timberlake, remember him during the BLM riots, should bail any of these people out of jail and give them an ethical pass. Make them stand up for what they did and face the judgment of the legal system. But let's be honest, the preening by the Democrats and the media the day of the riot and since about how right they'd been from the start, about Trump and his supporters all along was insufferable. Media personalities who had no problem with the Black Lives Matter riots, I speak not of the protests that were in many instances peaceful. I speak of the riots we saw over the summer and those who had no problem with what happened in Seattle, the autonomous zone, suddenly grew a conscience about riots. Suddenly they found them outrageous. The same anchors who had zero care for the small business owners whose shops were burned or looted or for the cops who were shot dead, trying to protect people during those lawless melees, suddenly found their outrage when it was Trump supporters breaching the people's house. And by the way, these criminals did not represent the vast majority of Trump's 74 million supporters, the same as the rioters over the summer don't represent the vast majority of people who would like to see us address racial inequities. Well, the truth is both events, both sets of riots were disturbing. Those by the BLM activists and Antifa and this one. Both sets of criminals were wrong and ought to be charged. And the Johnny-come-latelys to the riots are bad narrative? Better stick to it the next time said rioters are pushing a democratic cause. Because the more of that you see and give a pass to, the more people get it in their heads that it's not so bad. It's not such a bad idea or a big deal. 
The people who terrified lawmakers on Capitol Hill this week did serious harm to the American psyche. We haven't seen something like that in this country since 1812. And frankly, to the honest questions about voter fraud that large portions of the electorate still have, according to the polls. Contrary to the media lecturing that now all such allegations, any talk of voter fraud absolutely must be abandoned forever or those raising them will have blood on their hands. Not all of those questions actually have been addressed and not everyone is ready to say there's no there there. And you know what? That's okay. We can still have that discussion in a meaningful way. Frankly, it should not be President Trump leading it. The president's team was unable to produce the evidence needed to support their public claims of sweeping voter fraud. That's a fact. All right. That is a fact. I can tell you as a lawyer. They were arguments, the ones on fraud that Trump's team notably declined to make in court. They wouldn't say it. The lawyers wouldn't say it before the judges. And that's because there are real ethical consequences to lawyers who mislead judges. It's different from misleading reporters. I have said from the beginning that the legal arguments being advanced by the president's team in no way appeared robust to me. But enough proof was put forward in the limited time they were given that we we should be taking a hard look at how to improve this system going forward. Why wouldn't we? If for no other reason to restore some of the voters lost trust, which is considerable, again, according to the polls, something like 75 percent of the Republicans don't believe this was a fair election and a large portion of Democrats, too. (sighs) I don't know. More importantly, probably the most important point is that we need to take a hard look at how this erosion of trust in our systems was born. Because it's not just, it's, it's writ large. I mean, it's just, it's across institutions now. Why, why were so many Trump voters willing to believe the Kraken was coming, despite weeks of them not being able to produce it? You know, why, why is QAnon getting so much support with their conspiracy theories? Why, why were so many people motivated by a seemingly unstable for the moment, at least, president to mob the Capitol at great risk to themselves and others for a cause that was utterly futile? The woman who breached the door trying to get into, I think it was the House chamber who was shot and killed, was a service member. She'd been in the armed forces. This is a young woman. She'd been convinced this was righteous. How do we get to that point? I mean, there's no, there's no doubt that these folks were egged on by President Trump and his surrogates. They were. You can't deny it. And there's no doubt that his core, core supporters, that, that sort of small but incredibly loyal group can really be moved by his words. And I've been saying from the beginning, he has a, an extra responsibility given this cult-like relationship to use those words carefully judiciously, but he doesn't. But the truth is that institutions and the trust in them is at an all-time low. Trust in the other party is near non-existent in this country. It's, there's no trust, there's hatred. And trust in the media is entirely gone. It's gone. People no longer believe what the press tells them. Never mind the other side. And it's a real problem. There are real consequences to the Democratic overreach on Russia, on Ukraine, and to treating every single little thing President Trump did from the moment he took office as a catastrophic outrage. We are seeing the fruits of that right now. There are also real problems to Trump's repeated lies, his untethered relationship with the truth. (sighs) So how do we begin to start clawing 
this back? Is it even possible? I, I don't I don't have all the answers. But I know outside independent media is a good start. I'm happy to be a part of that that medium. Um, a boring president who dazzles no one but deals in facts. That'd be good, too. Are we actually getting that with Joe Biden? I don't know. Maybe. But based on his comments about Hunter Biden, his dodges and so on, and the help he's gotten from Twitter and Facebook, et cetera, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure we're about to get that. Open-minded, but unsure. The bottom line right now is that Americans need to fend for themselves when it comes to information and what is real. It wasn't always thus. It isn't right. It shouldn't be this way, but it is. Partisan news anchors should be abandoned. Decide for yourself who you can trust for unbiased information. You can make up your minds how to spin it, what you want to do with it, whether you think it's persuasive for your side or the others. Fact is knowable and important. I actually believe there's still a market for it. And frankly, I think the early success of this show helps prove that. For our part, we're going to promise to continue bringing you the facts without spin. When I'm giving an opinion, I'll identify it as such so you know it's opinion. It's how I feel. It's not what the facts are. But as I have my entire career, I will deal in facts as I did as a lawyer and as a reporter and now as a host of this show. We'll bring it to you without spin and as we say every day at the end of the show, without fear. And we will try very hard to be a part of the solution. We'll get to Glenn Beck in just one second. But first, I want to talk to you about Armbrust USA. Armbrust USA. We know where the virus came from, right? But do you know where your mask came from? Have you thought about it? The PPE shortage that we faced as a nation was due to the outsourcing of American manufacturing to China. So the founder of this company, Lloyd Armbrust, started it to start bringing back manufacturing to the U.S. and to ensure that this never happens again. This company produces the materials and the masks in its Texas factory. If we don't want our country to shut down again, you got to mask it up. And not all masks are up to the task. Unlike cloth masks and gaiters, bandanas, and so on, Armbrust USA, these masks are FDA listed. They're independently certified to have the highest level of filtration and they exceed even the highest safety standards. They've gone above and beyond. So their masks are used by heart surgeons and the OR, frontline workers, and now they're available to you. And by the way, they're quite attractive. They come in a bunch of nice colors. At first I was like, oh, does the color come off on your face if you sweat? It does not. I am happy to report to you. Uh, so they look good and they feel good. And uh, they're triple layered. They're breathable. They're lightweight. Uh, they got a secure fit, two-way protection. And uh, again, they're hypoallergenic, by the way. Most importantly, made in America. Stay healthy. Keep the economy growing. Go to don'tshutdownmaskup.com and enter code MK for a 15% discount on your first order of Armbrust USA masks. That's don't shut down maskup.com and use promo code MK for 15% off your first order. And now to the man who is in the Radio Hall of Fame and the host of the Glenn Beck program on Blaze TV. Glenn Beck, great to have you. How are you? And Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Megan. Thank you. It's great to talk to you as always. I love our conversations and yeah. always have. Always have. And I think. You're a good person to have at the beginning of the new year because you, you've always had a great predictive ability. You've been underestimated and under-celebrated for your ability to predict the future. 
Oh, yeah. All you really have to do, though, to predict the future is just take people who say they want to destroy you at their word. And yeah. then you're like, yep, okay, yep, they did it. <laughs> As it turns out. <laughs> As it turns out, they meant that. The Democrats have won both of these Georgia Senate races. What does that mean for America? Uh, a different America. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, again, I take people at their word. And when they say they want to transform something, they mean it. Uh, and every indication is they look at a very different America that doesn't uh, really reflect our founders, our founding principles, or our Constitution. And I, I think the radicals are in charge, um, and I think they mean everything they, they say. And if, if the Democrats do win, I think you're looking at the end of America as we, as we know it. Um, and if not, you are looking at a, a split nation and possibly a, a, a civil war. Okay, let's talk about that. I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm really concerned about too. where we're going and how yeah. divided we are. I, I understand the division. I actually, I don't want to say I support the division, but I don't sub support submission to the crazy demands being made right now. Right. So it's like, what choice do we have? Well, I, you know, I, I said on the air this week that uh, uh, I am coming out for secession, but not not our secession, because I, I still believe in the Constitution. I believe in in all of the amendments and the Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. uh, if if you don't, if you don't believe in capitalism, the free market, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the rule of law, then you should secede. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I really mm -hmm. am. I if you want to live a different way, that's fine. But this Marxism and this total transformation of what we have always been uh, no, thank you. And I have the documents on my side, so I'm mm -hmm. not seceding. You are. You're not wrong that they want the, the far left, the AOCs of the world yeah. want a total reformation of America as as it was intended to be and as it has been for the better part of 244 years. She wants to remake the entire experiment. And there are a lot of people on her side who feel the same. And with with Joe Biden, I realize Joe Biden's not the same as AOC, mm -hmm. but that wing of his party is growing and they're powerful and they've taken over so many yes. cultural institutions. Glenn, I, I really worry about where we'll be four years from now. I don't think we're. Uh, gosh, I hate saying this, Megan, um, but I, I just don't think we are in a safe place. Uh, I don't think the world is. You know, as we as we were battling COVID, China marched across the Hong Kong border and we've lost Hong Kong because mm -hmm. we didn't pay attention. Uh, imagine an America that is so divided, that is in civil war or just is is so crippled on the inside. The world changes four years from now. We're living in a very different world. And obsessed with navel gazing on issues like oh my gosh. Our, our lady parts or our oh skin color or you know, I mean, it's like so there are real things happening in the world that need our attention. And yet we're obsessed with with things that we cannot control, that we were reducing to afterthoughts in a very positive way. And we've now decided to prioritize them 
over things, as you point out, like the loss of Hong Kong or what China is doing to the Uyghurs, you know, an actual genocide happening in, in the world that we once might have stood up to. Even though Trump's done amazing things on China that no other president would have done, we're, we, we seem to have lost our appetite for attention to those things instead to focus on the extremely myopic but I and, don't and ultimately I, ultimately meaningless issues like gender. I don't think the average American is there. I really don't. And now maybe I'm naive because uh, look what's happened to us. But I really, truly believe all of this stuff is coming because uh, Facebook manipulation, uh, Google manipulation. I mean, Black Lives Matter didn't trend organically. I don't know if you know that. But mm -hmm. Facebook started getting heat when Black Lives Matter was really taking this summer and taking things by storm. They changed the algorithm and made Black Lives Matter trend. So when it trends, but it wasn't really trending, what's the truth? Are, are, right. Were people really behind that or did were people convinced to get behind that because of a a bogus algorithm what 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 is the truth i don't know but i just and maybe it's just the uh the optimist that is always screaming to get out that allows me to believe still that that's not who america is they're just we've just put up with it you know there was a there was a piece in city journal recently that was entitled a wokeism is silencing america and the author was talking about how self-censorship is soaring, that Democrats and Republicans, both, you, you would expect Republicans, uh, but also Democrats, both worry about speaking their minds to the tune of about 40 percent of each party. They don't want to say how they really feel because they're scared, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're going to get canceled. They're going to be, mm -hmm. be judged. They're going to be demonized, called awful names. And the, the author's point was basically when honesty is out of fashion, we're at a dangerous point because if you won't speak up against policies or groups or movements that you can see the fundamental risks of, then they become more powerful. Then more people throw their hats in that that basket because they think they have to yep. and their power grows. And that is something that we've seen happen with Black Lives Matter, a group that has really troubling leanings. And I wonder about I wanted to ask you about them in particular, because I know at some point, I think it was 16, you came out and said, I support Black Lives Matter. I get it. And you'd interviewed some folks who supported it. I, I wonder now how you feel about the group today. Oh, no, I didn't. I was very careful when I when, how I worded that. I support some of the people who were marching with Black Lives Matter here in Dallas um, because they had a they had a point. Their community is in trouble and no one is listening and no one is doing anything to help. They're using all of these political offices and everything else. Uh, they're using the black community. And the and so when I said I, I agree with those people who are marching with Black Lives Matter, some of them, because I spoke to them, they themselves said, we don't agree with the main organization. We don't believe in the destruction of mm -hmm. the, the nuclear family. We don't believe in any of that stuff. But nobody is speaking for us. And so that that was the real problem was if you look at Black Lives Matter, there's there's two there's the real Black Lives Matter, and then there's this, this, uh, this, I guess, hope of what it should be by a lot of the people who claim to support Black Lives Matter. Uh, and they just, they, yes, of course, Black Lives Matter, and yes, the community is under assault, and yes, there's problems, but that's not the same thing. 
And it is it is a truly frightening uh, uh, development in our society that something as toxic, as dangerous and as deadly as the real mission behind the organization Black Lives Matter can just be swept in and nobody questions it. And nobody in the media is willing to actually stand and say, wait, wait, let's separate this. Who's going to get hurt when the police get defunded in the inner cities? Not Glenn Beck, not Megyn Kelly. We'll be fine. You know, we live in these privileged communities and these doorman buildings. It's women and children in the inner city. It at best is completely irresponsible, especially now. You've seen the local Black Lives Matter saying, we didn't get any of that money. Where is that money? Right. Millions of dollars went to uh, the Black Lives Matter Global Inc. That is a terrifying thing. And I got news for you. They're not black people up at the top of that organization. Mm -hmm. These are not people who uh, are looking at the plight because they've lived through the plight. All right. Let's go back to secession because that's a headline. Um, What does it mean? I mean, honestly, I've I've heard it talked about more and more. I mean, what I'm not suggesting the United States is actually in a position where that's going to happen, but it's sort of happening ideologically, even if not in fact. Right. So what does that look like before our states actually secede from the union and we we get into another potential civil war? What's actually happening right now? How could this happen in, in sort of theory as opposed to in fact? First of all, there's uh, several levels of secession, and I think the left has already done it in some regard with sanctuary cities. Um, And I think there should be states that say we are abiding by the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And if you want to pass whatever you want to pass in Washington, D.C., If it goes against the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, we're not enforcing it. Um, That's one level of of secession. Uh, And I think states like Texas would do that. You pass something against Mm -hmm. the Second Amendment. I don't think Texas is going to enforce it. Um, And so you have that. I personally think the the talk of secession um, has always been dangerous. Uh, and flippant um, because you just don't want to break this thing up. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. we, we don't realize what we have until it's gone. Um, however, I think what one of the legislators here in Texas is trying to do, where he is he is calling for a bill on secession, and I thought it was a little irresponsible until I talked to him. And he said, we're not talking about breaking up. This is not a vote to say we're getting out of the union. This is a vote on should we even talk about it and should we bring that up at the federal level so at least someone takes us seriously. There's a problem in our country. And until somebody finally says, you know, I've had enough and I don't want to leave, but you guys are doing crazy things. Now, can we sit down at the table and talk? Because, again, we don't want to leave. Mm -hmm. I think that's. I think that's a reasonable thing to say. I feel like it's to some extent it's already happening. I mean, when you see the total elimination of any First Amendment rights on college campuses and more and more in all of academia 
And now it's spreading to corporate America and sports and so on. Right. You can't have your own opinion. Your opinion must be what they tell you it is. Um, you're already seeing a rejection of fundamental constitutional rights yes. for millions of Americans. And then you couple that with something like the Green New Deal, which, by the way, our vice president elect Kamala Harris co-sponsored. She loves mm-hmm. it. Oh, yeah. um, where they're where they're talking about um, just paying people who just don't want to work. Let's just mm-hmm. give them give them a monthly income. Well, who pays for that? I know you're a big Ayn Rand reader. Yeah. Who? What, what happens to the country when we have the workers and the non-workers, you know, the ones who make and the ones who take like we're already we're separating in real fundamental ways. It's happening. You know, what's what's interesting is we're having the same argument we had in the 1850s. Um, uh, in the 1850s, they had there was a you know basic theory that is this 1619 project uh that we started in Jamestown and that there was nothing but death and destruction there and slavery and everything else that was part of america believed that another part of america believed no 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 it was the pilgrims that really set the table they were the ones that uh our founders grew out of and all of the ideas of America came from uh, from uh, Bradford and the and the Pilgrims. Well, during the war, I think of eighteen twelve or the Revolution, uh, Governor Bradford's diaries uh, were lost, and we didn't know where they were, so we couldn't really have this argument. And around the eighteen fifties, they found those diaries in an old church. And England copied them for us and sent them over. And it it changed the debate uh, in America from, oh, wait a minute, we're not a nation of slave owners. We didn't come over here to do that. We came over here to do something glorious and good for all mankind. We're not having that conversation. And it's why the 1619 Project is so poisonous. Um, because it destroys the belief. Who, who can defend Jamestown? Mm-hmm. You can't. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, these people who have been, you know, pushing for getting rid of the American experiment and so on, they they don't have any pride in our country's history. They no. think it's an awful place. They they believe what the 1619 Project suggests, which is we were founded in evil and we remain evil, not but just on a racial level, but on on many levels of capitalism just being one of them. And it is the most dangerous and the most racist, anti-human kind of uh, statements, anti-God. I mean, it's it's wrong on so many levels to believe that you're racist, you'll always be racist, and you're racist because you're an American, or you're racist because you're white, or you're racist because whatever reason. It is so damaging and so enslaving that there is no other word for it, at least that I can find, other than evil. It is evil what is being taught to people right now. Uh, America and and God, the, the Judeo-Christian value, is that, yes, you make mistakes, but you get back up and you try harder. The, the line in our Constitution is so critical. A more perfect union, not a perfect union. It requires us every day to strive to make it a more perfect union. And now we've just, we're surrounded by people who say it was never good. Nobody involved was good. And, and you're left desolate 
and and hopeless. One of my favorite people in history is uh, Churchill. I just love him, love him for so many reasons, his humor, his his stick-to-itiveness, his intuitive uh, nature. Just love this guy. I've read so much on Churchill from the Western point of view. Now go read a uh, autobiography of uh, or a biography of Churchill from the Indian perspective. This mm-hmm. guy's a monster. He's a right. monster. And if you if you only look at that side of him, he is a monster. If you only look at the side of him from the Western point of view, he's a great guy. So you're left with what is he? In today's society, we want to just say he's a monster. No. Life is about a trajectory. Every single one of us have a monster inside. And it is our it is our goal in life, our meaning of life, to balance that and to keep that at bay and to and to encourage and grow the best parts of yourself. Learn from the monster inside. Learn from the mistakes that you've made. And when you look at Churchill, by the end of his life, he was like, yeah, I, I really made a lot of mistakes uh, in, in India. He was at least growing there and getting better. If you just say, once a monster, always a monster, there's nothing, there's nothing to live for. No, there's nothing there's to live no for. There's no room for grace. None. I, we were t- I was talking about this with Daniel Cameron about how Ronald Reagan made some very openly racist remarks about sure. African-Americans. But he also defeated communism. I mean, he defeated the Soviet yeah. Union yeah. And, and, and stood against, you know, the, the iron block. OK, so so you you have to judge. And Martin Luther King, that's, an, yes. that's another one. The, the guy yes. who wrote the Pulitzer, printing, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning biography on, on Martin Luther King had access to the FBI files and yep. reports that this guy stood by idly while a, a woman in his in his uh, parish got raped. And had no problem with it. That's and was MLK. like in the room or in the next room. Yes. I mean, it's, does that did, yes. do we wipe out his entire legacy and all the good he did because of that? It's not that anybody supports that action or Reagan's comments on blacks or Churchill and Indians. No, no one supports that stuff. But you have to judge the full measure of a man or a woman and their life trajectory, as you point out. So let me ask you this. Um, I don't know if you saw the movie Life of David Copperfield or uh, just came out. Um there's another one that I just saw the uh, ad for on Netflix. It's a new series on Netflix, and it takes place in the time of David Copperfield. But all of the characters are, they're not all white. Uh, David Copperfield, I think, is uh, Indian. Uh, one of his parents is white. Uh, somebody else is black. And it's, it's a truly colorblind uh, show. And I watched it, and... I wondered, okay, the next generation, how do they understand where we were? How do they understand what we've accomplished, what we have changed? You know, it's one thing to say, I don't like that everybody is white, you know, and the queen is is white. Well, she was white at that time. And that's something we can learn from and we can grow with. But if if you change history... To make mm-hmm. it something that it never was, there. Where's? How do you learn? How do you right. grow? You, you just come out out of the womb thinking, nailed it. We got right. it, we, we, and we've always been here. More with Glenn in just one second. But first, I shared a hot story a couple weeks ago before the holiday, and it nearly crashed the Scoremaster website. 
The story is that the average American has almost 100 points. We're talking 97 points that they can quickly add to their credit score. Imagine how helpful that would be. Most people have no idea how to get this, though. That's where ScoreMaster comes in. They've got credit scientists who discovered an algorithm that will super boost your credit score. Not just a few points, but 97 points fast. Imagine that. It's super important to get that score up if you're refinancing your home or buying a car, applying for any kind of credit. Let's just say you have okay credit, right? Most people have like okay, fair to Midland, and you want to buy a car. If you go to ScoreMaster first and you boost your credit score, not even just the 97 points that they can get from many people, but just like the average of 61 points, you could save 9,000 bucks on your car loan. And if you go to ScoreMaster and boost your credit, just the average number before applying for a home loan, you could save almost $100,000 over the life of that loan. Think about it. If you own a business, same thing. You can super boost your business credit score and save a fortune. Bottom line is ScoreMaster puts you in control of your finances. You can enroll in minutes and see how many plus points ScoreMaster can add to your credit score. Visit scoremaster.com slash MK, scoremaster.com slash MK. My problem, Glenn, with what's happening right now, and I'm just feeling it acutely right now, is what's happening today is the erosion of freedoms around every corner. You know, it's like you you can't say what you want to say. You can't think the way you want to think. You go to the university, you have to submit to the way they are. Your corporation now, same thing. Your taxes, right? They're going to skyrocket under this administration pretty much at most levels. So your money's not your own. Your gun is not necessarily your own, right? Like who knows what's going to happen with so-called assault weapons. It's just Around every corner, we're being told how we must act, how we must be, what we can and cannot have. And the, and the biggest example we've been experiencing of this is the COVID crackdowns, right? Oh, I mean, insanity. you will wear a mask. You'll wear a mask even after we have near perfect herd immunity because we're not exactly sure what it's whether it's just suppressing the symptoms or suppressing the disease. And you will socially distance or you and you will put on the hand sanitizer or you won't walk into this store. And it just seems like the big government thumb is coming down on our heads at every turn. When America doesn't go bananas, when Fauci says, yes, we are going to need some sort of a passport that would say that you've gotten the vaccine and that way you can work, you can go to entertainment, you can go to sports venues, uh, you can use uh, public transportation. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Wait, wait a minute. You, you, you're creating a papers, please, kind of right. society, and America is. They just yawn. I, 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 we, I, I mean, we, we deserve everything that we're gonna get. I, it's... And Fauci, Fauci is a liar. Let's be honest. He's admitted his lies now. He has admitted that he misled us. He misled us on the numbers needed to achieve herd immunity based on polls. Well, who who told Dr. Fauci he should be reading the polls in order to inform us of what good public policy is, right? He's putting his thumb in the air. This is the progressive way. They believe they know better. And that's the real problem. They're treating us like children and I'm sorry, uh, Americans should not stand for that. He did it all for the right reasons. He right. just he was looking at the polls that he knew America wouldn't be ready for those truths. And so he lied. But yes, yes, bad lie. But there this is a good lie because it helped us get to a better place. 
who the hell do you think you are? You, you are not the one to decide what I should know and what I shouldn't know. But that is apparently the, everything that the left and the Democrats stand for now. They will decide what's true, what's not true, what you can hear, what you can read. It, it, we are burning books every day. It's just digital. That's exactly right. And, the, and just look what they did to those Great Barrington Declaration doctors. These are really well-respected doctors yeah. who they dismissed and attacked in the same way they did Scott Atlas, who have basically said, look, the, these prolonged lockdowns are not necessary. They're causing catastrophic harm, especially to young people, to the working classes, to the poor um, who are dying at much higher rates at younger ages because of the lockdowns, right? Not getting screened with respect to heart disease or cancer. And their their mortality rates are going up versus, you know, the, the, even though they have almost no COVID deaths, you know, in the, in the younger age. No, no one will listen to them because they're not saying the right thing. Glenn. Can, and can I let me tell you something I haven't even told my own audience and I, I won't get into the details. Midnight, about a month ago, uh, my phone is ringing, and it, my wife picks it up, and we're both dead asleep, and she sits right up in bed, and it is uh, a teacher and at midnight, and then the doorbell rings, and my wife said, what is going on? And my wife said, you got to go to the door. It's probably the police. Probably the police. What is happening? I blurrily stumble out into our foyer and I open up the door and uh, it's the police. And they asked for one of my children by name. And I said, excuse me? They said, sir, we uh, got a call from a teacher. Uh, one of my children was um, suicidal. Let's leave it at that. Oh. Are you... Do you have any concept of what not sending teenagers to school is doing to them? They haven't seen their friends going on a year. They haven't seen their friends. They haven't been able to socialize. They have been locked in their house and isolated for anyone to tell me what I need to do with my family, go to hell, go to hell. I have seen it firsthand. What happens to children? They are destroying our children. Can you even imagine being 15, 16, 17 years old? Do you remember what that was like those years? How important those years were? And a year of it, gone, just gone, and you're locked in your house. How dare you? How dare you do this to my business? How dare you tell me that I can't make money? I can't feed my family? You owe me, the federal government. You took my livelihood, my business. You destroyed it. You knew you would destroy it, and you did nothing. And you find me, you called me a criminal, you called me a bad guy that didn't care because I didn't want to lose everything. And then on top of it, you do this to my children. Oh, my gosh.
Megan, I I don't know how we haven't seen a full-on revolution or the absolute wrath of God because we are participating in the destruction of lives. I don't know how it hasn't happened. I'm very sorry to hear that, Glenn. I hope she's okay. You know, I'm very lucky uh, in some regards. I am, um, you know, my mother uh, committed suicide. Uh, I've had another suicide in my family. And so we're all very, very well aware. Um, This one uh, was a shock, just a total shock. But... I'm blessed to have great children and an unbelievable wife. And, you know, we are all together and uh, we've, we've just had about a month of really um, good things with each other. You know, and the holidays too, like between the holidays and the COVID lockdowns and the isolation, it affects a lot of people. You know, she's not alone in that, in that depression and that hopelessness. You know, first of all, thank you for sharing that because I guarantee you're not the only one in this conversation oh, we're having I'm, right now that without I listeners. Know it. Right? I, I know it. I, I can't tell you. I, I can't tell you. I, two weeks before that, um, one of my best friends calls me and says, hey, I can't get together. Uh, we're at the hospital. Uh, our child is in a psychiatric unit, tried to kill himself. And it, I, <laughs> hello? This is happening everywhere, everywhere, and no one is even recognizing it. What is the impact of this globally? To your point that we did what was necessary. We did the two weeks to bend the curve. The country did shut down and suffered mightily for it in ways that you've identified. And now it's never ending, even with the vaccine here. They're not rolling it out with the speed that we would like, but they're not even prioritizing it in the way that makes sense. Like the great Barrington doctors have been saying, look, 50 million people in the United States are over 65. The, the, there is the number of vaccine doses that are available over the next two months will be enough to vaccinate every elderly person who wants it, every healthcare worker and other vulnerable uh, people who want it. And at that point, these lockdowns, they say, should end immediately and forever because they're killing people. The lockdowns are killing people, not just in, in America, but worldwide. But they are they won't do it. They're they're still saying no. I am convinced it's not about this. It's about the Great Reset. Look, people people say uh, everybody's got to get vac- vaccinated. No, no, they don't. Uh, I'm what, 56 uh, this year and fat out of shape, dumpy. I mean, McDonald's is the place for me. Uh, <laughs> and I got COVID over the holiday and it knocked me for a loop. I still, I, you know, it was out yesterday working on the house and I was so breathless two weeks, two and a half weeks later. Uh, and it can knock you for a loop. However, that's because I'm fat and dumpy. If I were in shape, I wouldn't have that problem. It wouldn't have been anything. My family had it over the summer. I was taking hydroxychloroquine, which, yes, does work. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I didn't get it over the summer, but every single member of my family did. And it was no big deal at all for them. My grandparents, my parents, yes, they should take it. If you have underlying health problems, yes, you should consider taking it. We're putting together something that we've never, ever done before. And you're going to insist that my children get it? And just to remind people what the stats are, at least 99.95% of people under 70 survive COVID. Okay, so at least 99.95% of people under 70 survive. But now they're talking about possible mandatory vaccinations of children on whom the vaccine has not even been tested, Glenn. No, no, I no, 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 no. And now they're saying that I need papers to prove that I excuse me. Mm-hmm. What I mean, this is not the bubonic plague. This I, is this is a, a little stronger than the flu. And I don't think we need another flu, but this will be with us now like the flu of 1918. That's the flu we have to get a shot for every year. And you know what? Millions of people who are old or infirm, uh, they do get the flu shot, but it is their choice you are not going to rush a vaccine through and then make it mandatory that my children who have no chance of really getting sick that's right uh, that they have to take this uh uh-uh. uh no can i tell you so i i am in no way an anti-vaxxer i'm a pro-vaxxer i had all three of my children vaccinated yep, so did exactly I. on schedule as my yep. doctor told me to despite yep. some people trying to scare me out of doing it. i did right. it they were fine thank god um and I will take the COVID vaccine, and I, I'm not afraid to do that. And I will absolutely encourage my mother to do it, too. But there is zero chance I'm having my children take it zero. before it's been tested yeah. on other children. And yeah. when the risk to children is minuscule, there's minuscule. So my kids have to be the guinea pigs for somebody else so that a, an elderly teacher can't get it. Well, that elderly teacher should get the vaccine. I don't have to vaccinate my kid to protect the elderly teacher who is free to get the vaccine if he or she wants to. And it is it is ridiculous that we close down the schools. We tell everybody to go away for the elderly teacher. We can afford to pay the elderly teacher to stay home. If it's for a year, it's for a year. We get it. Why are we having to dismantle our entire lives for the people that we should be protecting you take them out of society and you say you need to stay over here Uh, it's your choice you could go back in but you're probably going to get it or you can take the vaccine but stay over here the rest of society is being made to pay for this for what reason right right as you point out this is not the plague the people are treating it like you get it and you die it isn't True. You know, Megan, I, I said in January of last year, uh, when I first heard about it in December, and I really tried to do my homework and everybody was starting to freak out. And uh, I said, I really don't believe this is the plague. This is not the one we've been fearing, but fear the economic and uh, uh, spiritual side of what the cure is going to do for us and the cure has been lock it all down destroy Mm -hmm. the economy destroy our livelihoods and our lives i mean think of just the ramifications Uh, you know 30 days makes a habit think of the ramifications of people that 
have gone to church their whole life. Now they've had almost a year of not going to church. How many of those people who were faithful churchgoers are just not going to go back because they're out of the habit for a year? A lot. The impact on people's lives, good or bad, is astounding. Astounding. So where does that leave us? Because I've been listening to you talking about how a new tea party may be coming. That, you know, I remember, remember that, remember that videotape, Glenn. This is back. You and I were both on the air at Fox. It was after Obamacare was shoved down our throats. It mm-hmm. was an Arlen Specter town hall. Arlen Specter, <laughs> God rest his soul. Yeah. And there was that woman who stood up and said, You have awakened the sleeping giant. And then that term, Sleeping Giants, was co-opted by this far left group that tries to get everybody canceled. But <laughs> the concept of the the concept of the sleeping giants being awakened as more and more freedoms are stolen, eroded, suppressed, open calls to eliminate them. You know, I mean, there actually is a push to quote ban hate speech to add that to you know the the Constitution as an amendment as if. You know, we want somebody like, I don't know, AOC determining what's what equals hate speech and what does, and we're already seeing it here in the United here in, a, in New York City. If you say illegal immigrant with an unkind intent in your heart, you've committed a crime. It's insane. That's I like, how is this constitutional? Anyway, speak to that. Is there a new Tea Party or a new group of sleeping giants that's been awoken? I want to be careful on on this. Um because context doesn't ever matter anymore, it seems. Uh, I think there is a sleeping giant uh, that is going to be, um, is, is coming uh, out of slumber. But I worry who is there to lead it. Um, I don't, see, the world is leaderless right now, truly leaderless. Um, I mean, you know, when we had Reagan, we had the Pope, we also had Margaret Thatcher. We got nothing, you know, World War Two. You had a leader in Churchill and a leader, even though I didn't like him in, in FDR. They got the job done and they were going in the right direction and they were somebody that you could look to. The the reason why Donald Trump was so successful and still can command the crowds and the loyalty is because he was loyal to his people and he was loyal to anyone, anyone of any color that saw America as the way that we've all seen it our whole lives. I don't believe he's a constitutional scholar. I don't believe that he's one that's going to, you know, die over the Constitution. But I do believe he loves America and sees what it can be. If we're all just unleashed, there was no one and there is no one now. If he leaves, there will be no one that is fighting for the little guy, the the, um, you know, person X, if you will, the forgotten man, the guy who is just out there working and trying to you know bust his butt and lives a good life, tries to do the right thing. Who's defending him? No one, no one. And that's when bad things start to happen. And especially since you're not just ignoring, you're now demonizing that person. 
You're now saying you're stupid or you want to kill people through COVID or you're racist. People can only take so much. And, uh, you know, I, I, I live in a really small town of about 500 people in Idaho. And um, uh, we were talking on vacation. I met with a lot of the neighbors and stuff. And they, it's an interesting uh, phenomenon that's happening. They believe that there is great distress coming and they're all farmers and we've all been talking about how do we store food how do we do we buy tents do we how will we help keep people warm if they start to flee the cities and they've lost everything and they just they're hungry how can we help uh i hope that there are communities like that uh and people like that but <laughs> we, well, we're and, not and the I'm people sure, of the great generation, the greatest generation I anymore. I guarantee you here in New York City where I am, you, you have people listening to that saying, oh, good gracious, give me a break. Right. Like people aren't going to flee the cities for the rural areas. That's <laughs> that's nonsense. Well, you know what? T take a look at, at the major cities of America where some of these some of these places are seeing murders up 30 to 50 percent. Right. Like at where you see, you know, arsonists and looters that they only get held responsible if they have the wrong political ideology. Why wouldn't you consider leaving? Why is that such an absurd notion? How, you know, the 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 uh, prices in New York to buy beautiful places now uh, really low. Now would be the time to buy. Why aren't people with real money buying into New York right now? Now is the time when prices are down. That's when smart people buy. I wouldn't buy anything in New York City now because I can't figure out how are you going to put that city back online when you have no restaurants, you have no walk-ups, you, you have a gigantic empty spaces where companies have learned in the last year Gee, we don't need that huge building anymore. And then on top of it, you have a mayor and a governor who just believe in tax, tax, tax. They're driving more business out. They're killing the tax base. How are you going to keep the subways clean? How are you going to pay for a police force on a city that size? That city is going to be in so much trouble, so much trouble. Because there isn't a Rudy Giuliani that understands the broken window theory. More with Glenn in just one second. We're going to talk next about our Fox days together and why he now says he's never been more wrong about anything than he was about Donald Trump. How about that? But first, let's talk about Super Beats Chews. They're so good. So listen, sticking to your New Year's resolution is a matter of making one right decision at a time. If you try to do like for the whole year, I'm just going to have a Super Beats chew. <laughs> you can't do it. You got to go day by day. And if you are looking to institute some healthy habits and improve your lifestyle this year and who isn't, check out Super Beats Heart Chews. Just two of these things per day give you the cardiovascular support and promote the heart healthy energy that you need to chase after your goals, right? Aren't we all about fitness and wellness in 2021? Well, Superbeats Heart Chews combine non-GMO beets and clinically researched grape seed extract, shown to be two times as, as effective at supporting normal blood pressure as a healthy lifestyle alone. So when it comes to implementing healthy habits this year, adding Superbeats Heart Chews to your daily routine is an easy and smart decision to make. Now, you can get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews 
plus a free 30-day supply of their new delicious favor, flavor, it's a favor and a flavor, <laughs> super grapes, with your first purchase by going to getsuperbeats.com slash MK. That's two free gifts valued at over 50 bucks, only available at getsuperbeats.com slash MK. That's getsuperbeats.com slash MK. And now it's time for a feature we have here on the show called Asked and Answered. Our executive producer, Steve Krakauer, has got the asked part of the question. Hopefully I'll have an answer too, but he's bringing us the questions of you, our listeners. And today, Steve Krakauer, our question is from whom? Our question, Megan, is from Max Williamson, who is in Carlsbad, California. I love this. He says he's enjoying listening to the podcast while he delivers food for DoorDash. So Max, thanks for listening while you're working there. His question for you, Megan, is from which failure or mistake have you learned the most? Well, it's funny because I actually don't look at um, my setbacks with those words. You know, really, I don't use those words, failure or mistake. I kind of believe there is no failure or mistake. You know, that you make the decisions you make. What comes next is what comes next. And it's only problematic if you don't learn from it. It may not be pleasant, right, in the moment, but it's only problematic if you don't learn. So if you just keep an open mind, it could turn into something great. You know, I mean, I think people listening to this who know my professional history might say, well, going to NBC wasn't a good move. Well, look, that wasn't the place for me. It's true. But I kept an open mind about how it all went down. And now I don't really see that as a failure. Um, I see that as a huge learning op opportunity for me. I got the chance to stretch some muscles, grow some new skills that I didn't have. And some of those skills I learned on that, that morning show I was doing, I still apply and I wouldn't have otherwise acquired, you know, my job in cable. Um, I met a lot of nice people. I met some, you know, not so great people, but I met a lot of nice people who I still am friends with and I miss. Um, so you can't describe that as all bad. Got to interview Vladimir Putin, among many other awesome, like normal, regular, non-star type people on that show who really helped me learn about how to approach life, how to approach problems. There's one in particular who I'm going to put on the show at some point and you're going to freaking love this guy. Anyway, so I, I think about it in terms of my first marriage too, right? Like it, it didn't, it didn't end in success, right? We, we got a divorce, but I'm still friends with Dan, my first husband. And if I had never married Dan, there would never be a Doug. Honestly, I would never have been as good at marriage <laughs> as I think I am if I hadn't tried it and not, not really done that well the first time around. Um, you just learn, like, what do I need? What, what is it that isn't working for me? Um, why didn't it w work out, right? And if you, again, pay attention, and keep an open mind, you can turn it into a smash success, which thankfully my marriage to Doug is. Um, and I actually don't think you build any sort of strength or resilience as a human being unless you have setbacks, right? You've got to fall down. You got to like smash your face against the pavement every once in a while to come back stronger. So do, do welcome adversity into your life. Do welcome what somebody else might call a failure or mistakes. Mistakes only mean you've taken risks. That's good. That's the only way successful people become successful. It's the only way strong people become strong. Take a risk. You might fail, quote unquote, fail. It might not work out. But if you do the right thing in response, you're going to become the superhero you want to be. Really, I mean that. So thank you for the question, Max. And thank you for DoorDash. And I hope you're not one of the employees who's been screwed by this weird law in California that says uh, you, you can't work for DoorDash unless they make you a full-time employee and you can't earn your independent contractor. Anyway, I've just been reading up about that thinking this is such nonsense. In any event, thank you for the question, Max. And uh, I hope you'll keep listening. I was on 
Well, I was just going on vacation when the story about Dalton, the Dalton School here in New York broke. But I have a lot of friends at that school. And for people who missed it, it's uh, it's one of these you know, elite private schools here in New York, K through 12, that already was very diverse, really committed to diversity long before, you know, the current push of the of the past summer. And you know how it is, Glenn. It's like the the schools that are most woke get targeted first. Uh, oh, there was yeah. a there was an editorial recently that said the the uber woke demanding purity will come first for the moderately work woke. And that's exactly right. So this school yeah, uh, the, the the push by in a letter signed by 120 teachers wants 12 new diversity officers. They want any black student oh who God. appears in an in an ad for the school, like his image is in a school publication, or if they participate in any anti-racism initiative to get paid. They want required courses on black liberation and white supremacy for everyone. Yearly yearly anti-racism training for employees, trustees, parent association, volunteers. They want all faculty and staff to produce individual public anti-racism statements of their own. In other words, they have to become advocates. They want to abolish tracked courses by 2023 if blacks and whites aren't at parity. They're talking about eliminating AP courses unless all of the black students get the same grades or better than all of the white students. They want equality of outcomes, Glenn, equality of outcome. It's Marxist. And this is so the people living here in New York have to deal with they've defunded the police by a billion dollars. The crime rates are going up. The schools are shoving this stuff down your throat. I mean, it's a great city if you're from the far left and everybody else has got to ask themselves, what are the other options? Right. And especially now, everything's closed. There's no Broadway. Yeah. There's no I mean, there's no great <laughs> restaurants. Why am I there? Why am I there? Yeah. You know, Megan, there's a if. And you could tell me to stop at any time on this, but there is one of my favorite poems by Rudyard Kipling answers the first question that you asked me. What is coming? What is it look like in the future? Rudyard Kipling was a guy who listened to all of the Fabian socialism uh, right before the second or the first world war. And he was like, this, this is insane. What you guys are doing is insane. And they said, oh, it's going to be a better world and everything else. After the First World War, he went and he spent the rest of his life going to grave sites of fallen soldiers from World War I um, and caring for them. But he also wrote this poem. And would you indulge me? Please. Just tell me if this isn't today. As I pass through my incarnations in every age and race, I make my proper prostations to the gods of the marketplace. Peering through reverent fingers, I watch them flourish and fall, and the gods of the copybook headings, I notice, outlast them all. Copybook headings were the things that you would write in middle school when you were learning cursive, and it would say, water will wet, fire will burn. They were all things that were true. Uh, and then he goes on, we were living in the trees when they met us. They showed us each in turn that water would certainly wet us, as fire would certainly burn. But we found them lacking in uplift and vision and breadth of mind. So we let them teach the gorillas while we followed the march of mankind. We moved as the spirit listed. They never altered their pace, being neither cloud nor windborne like the gods of the marketplace. But they always caught up with our progress, and presently word would come that a tribe had been wiped off its ice field or the lights had gone out in Rome. 
but with the hopes that our world is built on that they were utterly out of touch. After all, they denied the moon was Stilton. They denied she was even Dutch. They denied that wishes were horses. They denied that pigs had wings. So we worshipped the gods of the market who promised all of these beautiful things. When the Cambrian measures were forming, they promised perpetual peace. They swore, if we just gave them our weapons, that the wars of the tribes would cease. But when we disarmed, they sold us and delivered us bound to our foe. And the gods of the copybook heading said, stick to the devil, you know. On the first feminine sandstones, we were promised the fuller life, which started by loving our neighbor and ended by loving his wife. Till our women had no more children and men had lost reason and faith. And the gods of the copybook heading said, the wages of sin is death. In the Carboniferous epic, we were promised abundance for all by robbing selected Peter to pay for collective Paul. But though we had plenty of money, there was nothing our money could buy. And the gods of the copybook heading said, if you do not work, you will die. When the gods of the markets finally tumbled and their smooth tongue wizards withdrew and the hearts of the meanest were humbled and began to believe it was true that all is not gold that glitter and two and two do make four and the gods of the copybook headings limped up to explain it once more as it will be in the future it was at the birth of man there are only four things certain since social progress began that the dog returns to his vomit the sow returns to his mire, and the burnt fool's bandaged finger goes wobbling back to the fire. And after all of this is accomplished, and the brave new world begins, when all men are paid for existing, and no man must pay for his sins, as surely as water will wet us, as surely as fire will burn, the gods of the copybook headings with terror and slaughter return. Rudyard Kipling. If that doesn't describe where we're at and the truth that happened after World War I and World War II, when everybody was told, hey, this is different, this is going to be good, social progress, it you restore the truth either peacefully, peacefully, which we still have the opportunity to do, or the truth comes back with wrath. Because you can't alter eternal truths. How does that manifest? I mean, I think Trump was was one first manifestation of it that I think neither you nor I, back when he was running, predicted. You know, he just seemed so yeah. different. And you know, is, is he conservative? He doesn't seem so. And yet I do think he was the first response to this. And now that he, he's he, not he's not exiting the national stage, but he is going to exit no. the Oval Office. So what? What's the next stage of fighting that? Uh, I don't know. I talked to the president over the holiday, and uh, he was very clear. I will never concede. Um, now, it doesn't mean he's not going to leave, um, but he is not done fighting, and you will never convince him. And quite honestly, you'd have a hard time convincing me that this was not a stolen election. There's just too many things that I wish they would just open up and have a real hearing on. Um, but, but I don't think he's going away. Um, 
and and I I worry, you know, I I worried about him at the beginning. I was very dead set against him, mm-hmm. uh, and I've never had uh, I've never been as wrong I think as I was on Donald Trump. Um, I really didn't think that he would do the things that he said he would. I didn't think he would be loyal to the principles of America. I thought he would money grab himself and you know uh, you know just be a New York businessman uh and he was remarkable in the things that he did and uh i kind of feel bad for people that always took him seriously because i think he's really funny and i think we missed a really good time but i think i i listened to you back then and i i didn't see somebody who loathed trump i saw somebody who wanted a proven conservative right and that's you liked ted cruz so so that made sense to me that you would get behind somebody like Cruz. You were not a fan of Trump. But as you saw him govern his behavior, his his policies brought you into the fold. I mean, that why is that not an OK and acceptable organic evolution? Right. I mean, so, some people hold it against you that you didn't you weren't formed right from the beginning. Well, who cares? Right. You learned. Donald Trump doesn't. I mean, he called me, I don't know, two years ago when I first started saying, OK, I think I was wrong about him. He called me and uh, uh, he said, hey, I, I just wanted to thank you for what you're saying. And I, I said, Mr. President, um, you don't have to thank me. I said, I don't know if you know, but during the election. And he said, oh, no, I'm very well aware. And I said, no, 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 I, I know you're aware of that. Um, but what I said was, I hope that I'm wrong. And if I am, I'll be the first to admit it. I said, I was yep. wrong about you. And, and what kind of person just stays the course? And doesn't admit when they're when they're clearly wrong. Right. Well, I mean, I think if you're not open minded to Trump's positives, if you if you're unwilling to see the good he's done for the country, notwithstanding some of his personal failings. I mean, we all mm-hmm. have them and his are yeah, his yeah. are magnified, given just his outsized personality and his role. Um, then you're not being honest. You know, you're not being an honest broker and no one should be listening to you. And that brings us to the media <laughs> and where. <laughs> And and what so as there is a backlash, right, as people will see how strong it is, we'll see who the next standard bearer is in the fight. Maybe it will continue to be Trump, though. You know, it's tougher when you're not the president. Yeah. Um, the media has a massive role in all of this. Their microphone, I think, has been very damaging to the country, especially over the past four years. And I, I of course, don't expect them to be tough on Biden, but I actually think they're really dangerous now. And I wonder how, how does the media landscape unfold over the next four years? I don't know. Um, you know, when I left Fox and I don't know if I said this to you, I doubt I did, but when I left Fox, I told my staff for about the last eight or nine months that I was there, I said, we have got to get out of here. The, all of this, all of these networks are going to burn themselves to the ground. I mean, this is a disaster waiting to happen. Because they just didn't get it, and they they still don't get it, um, and they think they're living in you know the 1970s. I remember when uh, Barbara Walters uh, did uh, you know her most intriguing people of the year or whatever that thing was. Most fascinating. Yeah, and uh, and she was interviewing me. I was one of the most fascinating. It was a tough year. I remember. <laughs> I remember um, that. But but I got to work that day. And they were shooting it at my office, 
and they had closed down 6th Avenue. They had closed the block for this interview. And I remember walking up and I said, what the hell is going on outside? And they said, oh, well, you. And I said, what are you talking about? They said, it's Barbara Walters. Uh, ABC is closed. Down. They closed up. They closed a road in New York um, so she could get her people in and all the trucks and everything else. And I remember they took two days to set everything up. They had I don't know how many people up there. And the interview was like six or eight minutes. And I thought to myself, they have no idea that the world has changed. The world mm -hmm. has completely changed. Um, and then for them to be so dishonest on top of this. Uh, the the arrogance that they think they know the truth and they know better than the collective American mind and that they that they think that the American mind answers to them, not the other way around. I, I it's I just don't see it lasting without, uh, you know, some sort of a military support. How How do you. How do you disenfranchise most of the country and expect that people are just going to continue to buy your crap? They're not. Mm. They're not. They need they need what Ted Koppel told me they needed to do. And he was dead serious. He said, we need to people like me need to uh, have a process to license people like you. <laughs> really, Ted, really? <laughs> you think you have the authority to say his voice counts, his voice doesn't count. That 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 is only uh, kept stable by force. Why do you think, Glenn, because I was with you at Fox during that time and your meteoric ascent, which was Crazy. something to behold. It was something to behold. It was. You're it was only fun. in your mid-40s. You're only there for a couple of years, but you yeah. dominated all of media at the time. And I wondered... And you became a huge target, huge, huge, huge. Why? Why did you become such a target in that in a way effective. that somebody? Uh, so here's the end of my question: in a way that somebody like Sean Hannity hasn't been. I mean, they don't like Sean, but he he has not been a target in the way you have been. Why? Roger Ailes gave me the biggest compliment of my career. Um, he said. I haven't seen someone as effective on television since Jack Parr. And mm -hmm. I was a huge fan of Jack Parr. Um, when someone can make a connection with the audience, and there's been several that can do it. I mean, John Stewart at the time was doing it as well. When you can make a connection and, and the audience feels they know you, they like you, you can make them laugh, you can tell them the uncomfortable truth and and encourages them to think for themselves. I said over and over again, I don't want your trust. I don't need your trust. Do your own homework. Prove this to be true or wrong and go to original sources. And if I got it wrong, I'll be the first to admit it. When you have, you can actually credibly say those things mean them and the audience connects you are the most dangerous person alive mm -hmm. and and one of the reasons why i left there megan was because i started to like it and you know and i know you know this feeling 
when you say something live on air and you can feel the country tilt, you can feel it connect. And if you're not really careful or a much better person than I, than I am, uh, that's intoxicating and uh, becomes just so dangerous for the country, but also just dangerous to your soul. It's battery acid for your soul. Mm. Now you will, you, maybe you'll find this interesting. Maybe you won't. I did not experiencing dis, I did not experience that in the same way. I knew that I had power and influence and certainly a good salary, but I never reveled in that. I never really wanted power. I never really wanted no. influence. I wanted to report the news. I thought it was fun and I thought it was a good public service and I knew I was good at it. And what the reason I left Fox, among others, but the biggest one was I always had my eye on the ball, which is what is most important to me is my husband and the three little people that we made mm -hmm. back at our house. And the more I have to sacrifice them for this job that I used to think was fun and a service, but now has become really mostly just toxic, toxic argumentation mm -hmm. inside and outside the building for me. Yep. Yep. What am I doing this for? Right. So it wasn't right. I never sort of got drunk on the power. In fact, I remember people saying to me when I was going to leave Fox, we have so much power. You have such a platform. And me saying, I don't care about any of that. I just never have. I and and I'm with you. I didn't I wasn't drunk on the power. I was afraid of the power. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I made so many mistakes um, in my early life because of my ego and arrogance and everything else. And the power scared me to death. Uh, and, uh, you know, I knew it was my wife and I had talked about leaving for about six months. And um, and I said uh, one night it was a just an amazing night and I'm. I, I was asked for, you know, my opinion on some uh, on some Broadway stuff from Bono and I got home and I was just <laughs> as high as a kite because I'd never been the cool kid. And I'm hanging out with Bono. And um, uh, and I got home and we had already decided that I was going to tell Roger the next day that we were indeed leaving. And I got home and I said, how can this be? I mean, look at look at the access we have. Look at the things that we can do and change and everything else. And as soon as I said it, my wife, thank God, said, I'm going to bed. Um, <laughs> but I, <laughs> I stood there on my floor to ceiling windows looking over Rockefeller uh, Plaza and Times Square and everything. And I thought, I just feel like I heard if you don't leave now, you'll you won't leave with your soul because you will because mm -hmm. I, I, I liked the influence. And even though I wanted to use it for good, that's that's that you get lost in that fast you can't you can get lost in that fast well i i can relate to that because i i've said this before but i i was a hundred percent convinced that if i signed another deal at fox news i would get cancer i i could really? feel myself getting sick getting physically unwell as a result of the lifestyle i was leading and mm -hmm. it's not that the people at Fox News are all terrible. It's not that. It's no. it's the nature of that business. It's horrible. And what it what it is now just was stomach turning to me, and I did not wish to be a participant in it yeah. for one minute longer. And I, then there was I, the whole ales thing on top of that, which was another yeah. thing. Uh, I, I heard uh, I heard your 
podcast where you were talking about why people in your position get paid so much. And, uh, and by the way, I love your podcast. I listen all the time. You're really Thank good. You. Um, but, uh, uh, you were so right. It's it, people think, oh, I'd love to do. Mm, no, not, not so much. There's a lot, there's a lot of great stuff. It's the best and the worst. And, uh, it can kill you just because, yes. I mean, especially when you're at the very top of the game, my mm -hmm. gosh, it is nonstop all the time people may not you know who didn't watch fox they may not be aware of this but i agree with what roger said there's there's no one like you on television oh. you oh. are spectacular in a really special way i wow. watched your show every night i couldn't take my eyes off the screen <laughs> you do have a supernatural ability to connect with an audience and anybody who looked at you could see it. And I think you're right that your effectiveness made you a bigger threat. And I flatter myself on a very, very small uh, level compared to yours, your abilities <laughs> to, to no seriously to say, I think that was actually one of the reasons I too became successful yeah. and also became a huge target, right? Because yeah, yeah. If, the more effective you are, the more of a threat you are, you know, the more Absolutely. dangerous you are, and the more, and the, the more they need to sort of target you. And I, I admire the people who can just say, I don't care. I don't, you know, I don't care. I'll just go out there and keep fighting. I was like, life is short. I could die in it any day and I don't want to live like this, you know, and I actually am happier. I don't know if you remember this, but, um, uh, right towards the end, um, my daughter and I, uh, we had always wanted to go see, um, Hitchcock in the park and, you know, every summer at, um, uh, what is it? The, uh, the park right by the library. Uh, Bryant is that Bryant Park? Um, yeah, Bryant Park is in the forties. Yeah, and so they were they were doing a Hitchcock movie, and my daughter said, "Dad, let's go." Now I should have known better. Uh, you know, I got to the point where I couldn't walk with my children in the street. No, um, you couldn't. You, you had six said, security guards surrounding you at all times, and it was necessary. It was necessary. Yeah, it was horrible. But anyway, um, somebody we go down, and I tell the security, I. I don't want anybody around us. Just please let us be a family. We go in thinking that it's going to be fine. The crowd is so hostile. They threw wine at my wife. Uh, they were um, calling them names when my wife and my daughter went to the bathroom. I mean, half a block away from me. Uh, just horrendous, horrendous treatment. Uh, and, you know, there's there's only so much that you can you can do. And I, I didn't want my children around it. Um, you know, I just, I just didn't want my children exposed to any of that stuff. And I, yeah. I miss it because I like New York. Um, I like the diversity of New York. I love the fact that I could sit down with really bright minds who completely disagreed with me and we could have a great conversation and I'd walk away learning something. I miss that. Yeah. Well, I see it happening to Tucker now. And, um, you know, Oof. so far, I think he, he's done a good job of sort of just shrugging it off. And but he his life has become very limited, too, as a result of it. I mean, I, oh, I know. I'm not at liberty to reveal all and, of it, but I know he's yeah. he's become much more insular because you can't live a normal life when you have that much negative attention focused on you and your family. I just I love I just love Tucker. I think he is so effective. You know, he's 
he's called me from time to time and said, uh, hey, Glenn, when you were doing this, what? <laughs> and it's weird because uh, not a lot of people can have experienced it at his level. Um, yeah. And uh, it's it's sad, uh, quite honestly. But I think he's he's getting hammered because he is so effective, so effective. Well. And so what and, and here is one of the uh, one, of course, what you hear about Tucker all the time is, well, he's a white supremacist, right? He's a racist, which oh, isn't true. Up. But of course, this is what they do. Ugh. And I was I was, you know, they give me a packet in, in, in preparation for all these interviews, Glenn, and the one on you raised the uh, you know, the comment on Fox and Friends, how you at that time you said something yeah. like, I think Obama's a racist. And mm. you later drew, took that back and said, I, I phrased it wrong. But after you said that, at least 57 advertisers requested that their ads be removed from your programming. Okay, now contrast that. That so that was your opinion not not perfectly put, but that's what you said at the time. Contrast that with a number of media personalities who openly call President Trump a racist in today's day and age. And their defense would be, "Oh, but he is. But he is." I know. I know. And you know what, Megan? I actually have amended that uh apology. Because I was searching for something. If, if you watch it, I, I was thinking and I and I was just I'm stupid because I think out loud a lot and not the thing to do in today's world. And I uh, I said, he's a racist. No, that's not quite right. I just think he has this this deep seated hatred for the, the white culture. I didn't understand what critical race theory was. Mm. He's a critical race theory guy. That's who he is. That's why so many Americans felt this disdain for uh, what he would say is otherness, um, that that uh, he just had this disdain for our history and our uh, and our, our culture. It felt. And what that is, is critical race theory. So uh, when I said he was a racist, well. No, I just think he believes in the critical race theory, which happens to seem a little racist to me. A critical critical race theory is the, it is racist. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I, I'm not, I, I don't know what's in Obama's heart, but that that program, critical race theory, where you're assumed to be a right. white supremacist because you were born with a certain pigmentation is racist by definition. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think America was feeling. And they didn't know it. They didn't know it when. But but well, you do know, you see that that hypocrisy in the the way they came down on you for oh let's God. say you stood by the original statement right I know you don't but let's say you did but now I I was like oh my God how times have changed right oh, I can't how take the worm it. has turned oh I know I can't take I I would have never said a quarter of the things that were said about Donald Trump I would have <laughs> never I mean Roger um, uh, Roger was pissed at me for that statement. Uh, I mean, he I called the president a liar one time and he called me into his office and he said, you do not call the president a liar. And I said, I know, but I think he is here, uh, Roger. I'm surprised you don't. He said, it doesn't matter what you think or I think the American people don't want to hear someone say the president is a liar. I mean, that was his line. And by the way, that was uh, that was Barack Obama. That he was right. he wasn't defending some Republican. No, it was Barack Obama. And and where is the line? These you know, CNN is has gone stark raving mad, stark raving mad. Um, uh, you 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 look at 
what they've said, what they've justified, uh, the the lies, the Hunter Biden cover up, all mm. of this stuff. You you have no credibility. And and then they discover that, oh, you know what? There is this laptop of Hunter Biden, and it's probably not really worth looking into. But we should note that there is something to that laptop. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's it's uh, they are criminal uh, in I shouldn't say that because people will take that literally. Uh, they are responsible for Donald Trump in many ways. Donald Trump was a symptom. He was not the disease. He was 100%. an effect. He was an effect. I couldn't agree with that more. But I do. It leads me back to the same question, which is now what? Because he's not going to leave the national stage. He's still going to be the leader of the Republican Party. But I think it's much bigger than that at this point, Glenn. I think it's a matter of, you know, people. And I don't just say conservatives. I know you you see this, too. Many liberals are feeling this way, too. Many oh, yeah, Democrats are sick and tired of this nonsense. And and so where does it go? How do we take back academic freedom and the ability to exchange, you know, free thoughts and ideas on college campuses and beneath that? How do we reclaim corporate America where people are allowed to have different political leanings and to express them on their Facebook pages, not on the corporate pages, and still keep their jobs? How like all of the stuff we've been talking about, I think there has to be like I don't know, some massive organization that starts fighting back as a, you know, sort of a, I've been approached by a bunch of different people to help fight back in the academic context. But it just doesn't need to be coordinated by somebody. Doesn't need to be grassroots. What happens next? So let me give you an answer that I don't like. Um, uh, before he died, I was friends with Billy Graham and uh, I was talking to him. Uh, one day and I said, where is the next Lincoln? Where's the Washington? Where is, where's Reagan? Where's, where's any leadership? Where is it? And, uh, he just smiled at me and he said, it's not going to happen that way this time. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I think there are millions of people all around the world that know what the truth is. And they're hearing the, what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to stand up and do something. And they're arguing with God in their head saying, but that's not going to make a difference. I can't, uh, I need something bigger than that. And he said, it's going to be those people who are loyal to the voice that they hear. They're going to stand up and pretty soon they'll be standing there with their puzzle piece and they'll feel really stupid. And somewhere out in the dark, they'll hear somebody else cough and they'll go, who's here? And they'll say, I am, I just, I don't know what I'm doing here. I just had this. And it'll be the piece that they were looking. And all of a sudden, all of those pieces will snap together. And it will be bigger than any one person could have ever come up with. Um, and I like that for its optimism. Um, but uh, it is, it it requires tremendous courage from not people like you and I. I mean, they can shut me down tomorrow. I'm fine. I'll whatever. Um, but there are so many people that are living paycheck to paycheck that don't have security. They don't have anything. And what they're going to stand up and say something. It's going to require tremendous, tremendous courage. And we've already seen how hearts of men are failing them. Um, I, I just, uh, I just am uh grateful you know i've been your fan 
forever, Megan. And I have, I remember writing you when everything was bad and saying, I used to watch your show on NBC every day. Uh, I'm just, I'm just a real fan of yours. I think you're brilliant. Um, and, and I remember thinking, and I think I wrote to you at one point, you are legendary if you just pick the things you want to do and just interview people and just speak the truth, you'll be bigger than anything. And you're already there. You're already starting to just explode again in a different, great way. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful for voices like you and, and others that are now willing to stand up when you know they're going to come for you. They're just coming mm -hmm. for you. Um, and uh, courage is contagious and uh, much more so than uh, COVID. And if we can just start finding and highlighting those voices that are courageous, and if we will all start to look at uh, this alliance of freedom, little like NATO, an attack on one is an attack on all, uh, we'll survive. But if we stay separate, we don't support people who are standing up. We remain shy in our own life. And, oh, well, they said it. I don't want to say anything. We're doomed. We're doomed. We have to stand together. Great way to end it. Glenn, so great to talk to you. Let's do it again soon. Really enjoyed every moment. Thank you. God bless. Today's episode was brought to you in part by Armbrust USA. Go to DontShutDownMaskUp.com and enter code MK for a 15% discount on your first order of Armbrust USA masks. Now stay tuned to the program and go ahead and subscribe if you would, uh, because our next guest is going to be Kathy Lee Gifford. We talked a bit about NBC on this show. She was one of the bright spots for me in that entire experience. She was consistently kind, honestly, like from start to finish. We became good friends. We went out and had a bunch of boozy lunches to the surprise of no one. <laughs> and... Um, she just, she talks about a lot in a way that I find inspirational. She talks about faith. She talks about charity. She talks about humanity, music, her new life in Nashville. Even hearing her talk about the death of her husband, Frank Gifford, will make you feel inspired. It really will. I know that sounds a little odd, but trust me. So don't miss Kathy Lee. KLG's coming on the program next. And go ahead and subscribe to The Megan Kelly Show. Download. Give us a like, if you will. I would say give us a review, but somehow Apple has stopped the reviews. We're looking into why as of December 13th. Hmm. Not going to be a conspiracy theorist, but it's weird. Um, anyway, we'll take your thoughts at questions at Devil May Care Media, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care Media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures.